Hi, Cindy. Hi, Katie. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well myself. Um, something that I wanted to mention before we dive into your This Week in History mm-hmm. is um, I would like to humbly request if anybody is interested, um, it would be super nice if you wanted to, to rate and subscribe to our podcast. Yes, we would appreciate that. Any feedback you can give us is welcome, as long as it's overwhelmingly positive. Exactly. <laughs> and we're not going to like hold a gun to your head, obviously, because this is a podcast. But um, we humbly request if you like it and you want to give it metaphorical thumbs up in the form of five stars, that would be great too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's dive into it, Katie. Okay. So for this week in history's story, I have the story of the Hartford Circus Fire. It's so funny because I've heard about the Circus Fire, but all I know is that it was one big fire, a bunch of animals died, and that's about the extent of my knowledge of the Hartford Fire. Oh, it's so much more horrifying than that. And there are a number of mysteries that are kind of woven into it, which I will unpack a little bit today. Ooh, yeah. okay. All right, so let's get into it. All right. So one sunny Friday afternoon in July 6th, 1944, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus kicked off their 215 performance right on time. And this is because the circus had come to town a little bit late the day before and they'd missed a previous performance, which if you are aware of some circus traditions is actually considered a really ominous sign of terrible things to come. Oh, well, can I just stop you there for a second too? Sure. Um, I'm trying to think of the circuses that I know. Mm-hmm. Ringling Brothers, is that yes. still up and going? No, I believe they went out of business, as did Barnum and Bailey. They right. were defunct. What, yes. other, what circuses do we know? Cirque du Soleil. Cirque du Soleil, Yes. Um, oh my gosh, there's one out of New York. It was like no, the Big Apple one. Yes, That's, the Big Apple I, circus. I think is that still up and going too? I have no idea. Okay. Interesting. I didn't do enough research in circuses. Katie specifically. I came unprepared. I'm sorry. I expect you to be spending hours and hours deep diving <laughs> circuses. I'm disappointed. <laughs> that will be that will be for our next podcast. Perfect. Okay. The circus podcast. Um So over 7,000 spectators, which were mostly women and children, packed the stands, watching big cats jump through hoops and marveling at the flying Melendas, somersaulting through the air. But they were blissfully unaware that they were sitting inside a literal tinderbox. Oh my gosh. Are those just like all moms and their kids out or nannies and their kids out? No, it was was moms and their kids because this was a... A matinee performance, so after nap time, 2.15. And this is also, you know, in the middle, not the middle, but this is during World War II. So most of the <gasps> men right. are away at war. And you've got, and it's also mentioned in the research, it said that a, a number of tickets were given away for free. So there were a number of like drifters that were there as well. And just kind of people who are unemployed. So, so this circus, this performance was something that, was being put on to bring joy to people during a time of war. Yes. I'm going to already start crying. You didn't tell me to bring tissues. I should have heard like circus fire and thought, okay, you should probably bring tissues. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. Oh, Katie. Okay. 
so at this time, uh, circus big tops, the big giant tents, were made out of cotton canvas, and they're really susceptible to wind and rain. I and thought so you were going to say cotton candy. That would be that would be a delicious alternative. So to waterproof these tents, circus workers would coat in a very special mixture. Can you guess what you think they might have coated the tents with? Alcohol. No. Kerosene. Kerosene. Good guess. Good guess. Uh, it was a mixture of paraffin wax and gasoline. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Nobody was like, this is a terrible idea? No. Nope. They, di- nope. they didn't no. have like, um, what are those people called? you know the the ordinances people well at that time it's like that's all they had to try and weatherproof i mean no that's not (laughs) all they had what about like um what about like uh bear fat is that not a thing that you would (laughs) how many bears all right we need to find a mathematician to crunch the numbers for us how many bears would you have to kill in order to coat a ringling brother and Bailey and Barnum circus tent with fat, enough fat. I would like you to know that it's a thing. I just Googled and bear <laughs> fat is a waterproofing thing. Well, mink oil, mink oil. Yeah. No, I believe you. I believe, I, you use mink oil to waterproof boots. I've seen that. Yes. But you, you would need a lot of minks. I mean, in hindsight, it's like what you couldn't find a bunch of minks and a bunch of bears to coat your. <laughs> Just rub can them you imagine like a uh, pita outside that circus? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, go on. So later investigations would reveal that the fire had started um, outside the men's latrine tent, and then would eventually spread to the southwest corner of the big top. So at first, when the fire broke out, spectators thought it was just part of the show and just assumed that the fire would be put out very quickly. Um, apparently, circus tents catching fire was a pretty fairly like common occurrence. Why? And they had people, um, because it's coated in paraffin and gasoline, and they would have circus workers who were ready with buckets to just like kind of put out the fire. But like, are people smoking? Is it the heat that's causing spontaneous combustion? So smoking was prohibited, but you would still have people, you know, secretly lighting up and then tossing a, a mm-hmm. cigarette. And I like that you asked that question because that will come up a little bit later in my story. Okay. Um, so the assumption that this was just, you know, a part of the show would eventually prove lethal because some people remained in their seats up until the last possible moment. Once the crowd eventually realized that the tent was engulfed in, frame, in flames and it wasn't actually part of the show, absolute bedlam ensued. Children ended up jumping from the tops of bleachers. Rather than flee through the closest exit, families would dash blindly back to the door where they had entered. And this is actually a really common oh. occurrence that when people who are put in a very stressful situation like this, they'll go to what is known and what is they trust and what they've done before, which is I'm going to go out the exit instead of going out what's closest to you. Mm. Um, parents ran blindly through the chaos of the burning uh, canvas, trying to find their children rather than saving themselves. Oh my gosh. And the entire tent was reduced to smoldering remains in less than 10 minutes. The majority of attendees were able to safely escape, but there were many who were not so lucky. Uh, most of those fatalities were caused by the fire itself, but many were crushed to death by the stampeding crowds. Oh. And as people tried to flee the tent, the burning canvas 
weighed down by the melting paraffin uh, wax would rain down on them, causing further burns. The official death toll was 168 people with over 700 injured. Holy jeez. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there were there are records of like entire families just being wiped out by this oh fire. Oh my gosh. And the exact cause of the fire remains a mystery. Investigators originally assumed, just as you had mentioned, that it was a, a carelessly tossed cigarette that ignited straw nearby, which then caught the tent on fire. However, there was a uh, forensic investigation that was conducted by the state of Connecticut in 1993, and it concluded that, and I'm quoting here, that a carelessly discarded cigarette thrown onto dry grass could not alone have started the fire, but other accidental ignition sources could not be eliminated. The reexamination did not reveal any indication that that this was an intentionally set fire. However, that was a really common thought back in the, the day, that this it was arson, and a man named Robert Siege uh, confessed to starting the fire in 1950, but he eventually recanted and maintained his innocence until his death till in 1997. What was out of curiosity? Do you know what what he said? Like, did he say I started the fire because yes. I was really? What did he say? He he said I started the fire. The red man told me to do it, meaning like the devil. Is was he a circus performer? He was hired by the circus as like a, a handyman, and okay. he had actually confessed to starting smaller fires in Providence, Rhode Island, at the circus mm-hmm. previously. And there are records that there were smaller fires that were set, but the circus workers were able to put those out in time before mm. the whole thing went up. Um, but like I said, he recanted the story. He claimed that he 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 didn't do it. And there's actually a a long form write up on it that was done by the uh, the Hartford Current that I could link in our show notes if people want to read a little bit more about you know the investigation that was done and the interviews that were conducted with him. Um, and so, as far as we know, we have no idea what actually caused the fire, and we ne- we probably never will. There's a um, you just made me think of this show that I have been watching. I've been binging it, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's called Twenty Four to Life, and yeah. it follows people's last day of freedom before they turn themselves into jail and there's this one guy and he um and and part of this part of the show too is you don't know what the people have done until the very end end. and then they and then they can they tell you what they did and why they're going to jail Mm -hmm. and this one guy was going to jail for arson he was a firefighter and he would set fire to forests and put them out so that he could be a hero. <gasps> that's that's messed up. So maybe really somebody was trying to set a fire to be a hero. It got out of hand. Just adding to the conspiracies. Perhaps. Perhaps. The other, there's another line of thought that it, like, it could have been a cigarette, but instead of being tossed into grass because it was in the men's toilet, um, that maybe it was tossed into like a, a rubbish bin. And there's, you know, paper, newspaper in there and who knows what. And perhaps it could have caught fire there and then spread. That's right. It started mm. near the men's bathroom. Hmm. Right. I think, yes, a cigarette being tossed. What else? I guess it's during the daytime. So there's no, you know, light fixtures or anything that mm. are turned on that would overheat. Mm. Right. And if any of our listeners have any theories, hit us up with them. I'd love to yeah. hear them. Yeah. All right. So continuing with some of the, there are other uh, mysteries that are associated with this this fire. Um, so there were six individuals in total who were never identified, um, as well as a as a collection of what investigators termed unknown body parts. 
Mm. The majority of those unidentified were burned beyond recognition and buried in a shared grave in Northwood Cemetery in Windsor, Connecticut. However, one of the unknown, referred to as Little Miss 1565, was remarkably well-preserved after the fire. She was most likely crushed or suffocated to death by the crowd. Um, And I can post a picture of her. It's actually one of the most famous photos from the fire. Um, And it it just looks like a little girl sleeping. So investigators believe she was five or six years old at the time of her death. She was almost four feet tall, and she had shoulder-length blonde or light brown hair. And she was wearing a floral dress and brown shoes. There were two Hartford police sergeants, uh, Thomas Barber and Edward Lowe, who became obsessed with trying to find out who this little girl was. Um, Actually, Sergeant Barber, I think one of the reasons why he took this on so strongly was he was supposed to attend the circus with his children that day. Mm. But he got there late, and the fire had already consumed the tent. And they worked tirelessly. Um, They sent her dental records to hundreds of dentists. Um, They followed up on thousands of leads. They interviewed anyone that they could find to try and figure out who this little girl was. Um, Her picture and identifying details were also published nationwide, um, but no one claimed her. In 1981, Lowe's widow said that he had learned the identity identity of Little Miss's family, but that they didn't want to be publicly identified. There was also an anonymous note that was left on her grave in 1987, saying that her name was actually Sarah Graham, but there's no indication that there was any follow-up. And then in 1991, it was announced that the little girl had been identified as Eleanor Emily Cook, um, based on analysis of hair samples by the Connecticut State Police. Her body was exhumed and reburied in Southampton, Massachusetts, next to her brother, Edward, who actually perished in the fire and was positively identified in 1944. What about her parents? Um, Her mother survived. Her mother and father were separated at this time, so her father actually wasn't there. However, this is not an open and shut case. So at the time that Eleanor died, she was eight years old. She was wearing red and blue play suit and white shoes. She was also described as being very tall for her age. Also, her mother, her uncle, and her aunt did not positively identify Little Miss 1565 as Eleanor when they viewed her body or pictures of her body in 1944. Researchers have also found that there are discrepancies between Eleanor and Little Miss 1565's dental records. So the question is, who is Little Miss 1565 and what happened to Eleanor? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, as awful as it sounds, I'm guessing Miss... 1565 probably i'm assuming whoever she was with also perished so there was nobody left to identify her or to claim her as missing it could be that another theory that i've heard is that she just she wasn't identified by her parents Mm -hmm. you know because there were other people who were brought, brought through to try and identify her um either because they were just so overcome with shock that they couldn't do that or another family uh, Little Miss 1565's family identified Eleanor as their daughter, mm. took Eleanor home, buried her, not realizing that their actual daughter was oh. still oh my in the morgue. Gosh, my heart is just mm. like uh, in mm. my chest right now. So, another incredible mystery is that of Raymond Erickson. 
So he was six years old when the fire broke out but he, and managed to escape, but he was horrifically burned on his face and body. He was taken to Hartford Hospital, accompanied by his uncle, who left him for just a couple moments on a mattress in the, on the floor of a hallway as he frantically searched for a priest in hopes of administering like last rites to the little boy before he oh my died. Gosh. By the time his uncle was able to get back, Raymond was gone. All that has ever been found of him were his brown sneakers that he was wearing that day with his bright blue socks carefully rolled up and placed inside. What? The shoes were discovered inside a box of fire victims' belongings at the hospital. What? They've never discovered what became of him. And I've seen pictures of his actual sneakers. His family still has them to this day. And the socks were rolled up. I'm assuming somebody did that at the hospital out of respect, probably, right? The mm-hmm. shoes were just picked right. up. But but where did Raymond go? Where yeah. did his clothing go? Where what happened to him? That's so strange. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Katie, this is like I was happy to see you, and now I'm just like really depressed. <laughs> and if this hasn't depressed you enough, oh no, there's more. I found a really fantastic, I found a really fantastic website. It's um, circusfire1944.com. And it is a, just a wonderful wealth of resources. It has, you know, firsthand accounts. It's got video, um, article, links to articles. And it also documents every single victim's story. So you can click through each of the oh, names wow. and read in detail, you know, a short biography who they were related to, who also perished in the fire. And it's it's just, it's absolutely heart-wrenching, some of these stories. And like mm-hmm. I said earlier, there are entire families that were just absolutely wiped out by this, this fire. Um, you have, you know, there was one little girl who was found in her mother's arms. Oh my and, God. You know, her father, her father survived, but her sister died. And then meanwhile, her brother was out fighting in France and then <gasps> died a month later. Oh my God. Killed in France. Yeah. It's just absolutely horrible. So what did this do to Barnum and Bailey and Ringling Ringling Brothers? What did it what did it do to their reputation? It definitely damaged their reputation. And by the 1950s, they were no longer performing under the big top. Instead, they were only um, giving shows in giant arenas. Mm. And they did get sued by I believe it was the state of Connecticut, um, because it, when, if you go through that the Circus Fire 1944.com website, you'll see you know this family was awarded X thousands of dollars to the like the estate was awarded this much. Mm. You guys don't use paraffin wax and gasoline together. How many times do I have to say it? They don't make a winning combination. Absolutely. It was a horrible, horrible choice. Well, that's just a great way to go into the week. Thank you so much for that, Katie. You're welcome. <laughs> Wait, there was one more thing I was going to ask you. Um, I don't remember what I was going to say, but I'm super sad now. That's awful. It definitely made me clutch my children and not let them go mm-hmm. for like five minutes. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I have no desire to go to a circus anytime soon. No, <laughs> not even as petting zoo at this point. Not even. No, no. The first thing I'm going to do is be like, "What did you coat this thing in?" I'll bring my own <laughs> umbrella. Thank you very much. I don't want to touch your ducks. Do they have rabies? No. <laughs> ducks don't. Is that true? Can ducks not get rabies? 
No, ducks can't hear my bees. It's, it's mammals, which ducks aren't mammals. Oh, no. they're av they're aviaries. Av, what are they? They're birds. <laughs> <laughs> they live in aviaries. I thought there was like a like a umbrella umbrella. Get it to the connection. I always bring <laughs> yes, it back. Okay. Um, I thought there was like an umbrella word for them, but and that's the story of the Hartford Circus Fire. I'm going to go cry myself to sleep now. Night, night. Sleep tight. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, if you have a favorite story in history you want to share with us, or if we made some horrible mistake in our retelling of history, be sure to slide into our DMs at at another history podcast or send us an email at notanotherhistory at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you.